You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. Excited to be with you today. I hope you're doing well. It's uh, always a privilege to spend a few minutes in prayer and and worshiping uh, the Lord. And what a what a wonderful song to set the stage for uh, just uh, studying the Word of God. And it's always again a privilege to have you. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you. Um, and uh, if you're here again, it's always a privilege to have you. We. Uh, have tried to be faithful as much as we can with the time that God has allotted us to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that by trying to uh, just uh, permeate the telegram channels with the word of God. And because of that, we are seeing many people come to Christ. And so we faithfully try to partner with others uh, that uh, also as well uh, faithfully preach the Word of God, and uh, it's always been a privilege and an honor to do that. And so we're glad you're with us today. We're going to begin a study uh, through a book called Design for Discipleship. Um, one of my desires and my hopes is that that you continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Uh, my job as a pastor is to train the saints and equip the saints for the what? The work of the ministry. And so my desire, my hope is not to just g- gain subscribers, my hope and my desire is that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, and then you go into your highways and your byways and your channels and be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so my my desire is that you continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And so we want to welcome you, and that's our hope, that's our desire, and that's our uh, our, our hope that you can be a part of that uh, transformation and then uh, a a presenter of uh, the grace of God to the world. So for those that are coming back, we want to welcome you. Welcome, Jaron Jackson. I see he is in the study this morning. We love you, brother, and appreciate your ministry and what you are doing in the proclamation of the gospel into the avenue that God has blessed you with and what a great example he is uh, as well. Um, he is a dear, faithful brother, and uh, we certainly love him. We're glad he's with us this morning. Um, I I actually posted, if you see in the chat, uh, book number one. And uh, because this is an older book, you know, the newer books are a little different. They're more like based on how you feel. How does this make you feel? These are the older models of design for discipleship. And they allow you, Navigators allows you to print a copy for yourself. Um, and uh, it costs you nothing. And so I encourage you to take that PDF, print it out. And uh, I think I've eliminated all the answers out of it. I don't know. There's a few books that I think I've messed up, and I've instead of filling in my PDF, I've filled in that PDF. But if uh, if they're answered, well, it'll give you some helpful tools as you get going. But print that out, and we'll begin on Tuesdays to work through this. There's several books. Uh, as uh, as we work through this, you'll see um, it goes over discipleship, and there's like seven books total, and each book has about four to five chapters. Um, I'm doing this through a a men's Bible study through Zoom, and it's proven to be very helpful, encouraging, but here's the ticket. It's only as beneficial as if you do the work, and so there are a few things that I hope that uh, this study will uh, continue to grow you in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. It'll give you a 
you know, a few things that, uh, that are helpful for you. Designed for discipleships. Listen, they've been carefully uh, put together to help you establish a, a program for personal Bible study of the Scriptures. They uh, are giving you the opportunity to examine the great truths of the Bible. And while this is all foundational, it is a great platform to build off of. And so if you are a young believer, this is a great place to start. If you're an old believer, well, we all need the reminder. Paul consistently reminded us the importance of studying and being reminded of the important truths of God's Word. And so this will give us an opportunity to do that, and we'll do it in a group format where everybody together uh, can certainly be a part of that. And then he wants to learn and to practice the essentials of discipleship. Again, this is about taking in and putting out. We are what we like to consider. Many people, they come, they join the channel, and they can't post anything, and they leave. Well, what they don't understand, and for those that are here, and maybe you were concerned that, well, I, I've been blocked. No, we don't block you. We just don't keep the channel open. Because this is the way we look at our getting in the Word channel. It's like an aircraft carrier. We want you to come here, get fueled up, get prepared, and then we want you to launch out and go into battle and fight for the truth of God's Word and proclaim the hope of Jesus to the world and then when we open up the chat, well, you come back and you get fed a little bit more. But we're not just a place where, you know, we have thousands of posts every day. We, we want to keep it focused in on the Word of God, and that's, uh, that's our purpose. And there's other channels for that that we, uh, that we promote. You know, Jaron Jackson has a chat channel where you, he's got all kind of stuff that deals with the politics, the things of the world, the current, you know, social economical things. And we have the Patriots Harbor where we uh, we have an admin that's our admin here, admin there. And uh, that is a platform that uh, we try to keep safe and, and, and biblically accurate. And so um, that is another place. And we'll post those links in the chat if we can get our admin to do that. That'd be helpful. But to get the full benefit of this course, it's important for you to do the work consecutively from book one through book seven. And so we're going to continue through for several weeks as you uh, join in. Maybe there is, you've skipped a book or a chapter. Um, we will return to that as we continue uh, teaching through Design for Discipleship. And so you can jump in at any time, start right where you are at, and then you can continue on through because it'll just repeat. And it's a foundational course that we want to do. Um, and so here in this book, we're going to, book one, we're going to deal with four chapters. And uh, the first chapter that we'll work over today is God cares for you. N next week, we'll look at the person of Jesus Christ. The following Tuesday, the work of Christ. And then the fourth week, we'll look at the spirit within you. And so that's important. Let me open us in prayer, and uh, we'll get started this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the honor that you've blessed us with to gather today to open your word, for it is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you for each person here. I pray you bless them, that you encourage them. Lord, we are living in difficult days. We are living in days when the enemy wants us to hold fast to fear, but we know that when fear moves in, faith moves out, and you call us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And so 
today, Lord, as we dive into your word, as we look at this first chapter, as you remind us that you truly do love us, you care for us, Lord, help us to know that and to apply that to our lives so that we can exterminate the enemy from any other thoughts that may take us away from that truth. So we we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. Thank you for each one here. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you will, turn in your uh, book to chapter one. Again, if you have not um, downloaded that, you're welcome to. I'll forward again to sort of hit the bottom of the channel. But this is book one. You're welcome to uh, just open the PDF and you can work through it as well, whatever is convenient for you. And so I want us to see first, chapter one, God cares for you. The reality is, is you are genuinely special. Now, you're not special just because you're something amazing. No, you're special because God has designed you to be special. God created you. God knows you. God loves you. And God made you a part. Um, for those that have put their faith in Christ, part of his family. Now, he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that is a genuine reality. Now, I've been accused of being a Calvinist. Um, I'll let you determine that for yourselves. I, I'm not going to allow you or myself to put myself in a box of, a, of a, a theological perspective in which God did not create. Calvinism was a, a methodology of man. I'm a biblicist. I trust that the Bible is accurate, the Bible is true, and that unless you believe the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Call me Calvinist or whatever you want, but I do know the Bible says that God wishes none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so the reality is, is in Genesis, the first two chapters deal with his creation in which we see the height of his creation is mankind. He created you in his image, and therefore, thus, you have intrinsic value. Whether you are born again or not born again, you were created in the very image of God. Therefore, everyone has intrinsic value. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows whether you're going to believe or reject because the Lamb's Book of Life was written before the foundations of the world. But nevertheless, God loves you. And we know that because the Word of God tells us that. And Genesis is the book of beginnings. Chapter 1 tells us that God, number 1 here says, um, God created you. And read Genesis 1, 1 to 5 and list three facts concerning the creation. Well, as we read this, and I assume you have read this. If not, next week you'll be prepared as you see us as how we walk through this. The first thing that we see is God was there. In the beginning, God created, right? It's the beautiful picture of the triunity of God from very beginning. Therefore, it's important to know that you were created by the God of this universe. We also see that the Spirit of God was there. He was hovering over the water. In the beginning, God. God is in the plural form. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present within the first few verses of Genesis. And then we learn that God spoke into existence. God spoke it 
into existence. How did God create the world? Well, that's a great question. He created it, how? By His Word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. And so we see the power of the Word of God. He speaks, and things happen. And so the question three is, how should you respond to God's creation? Well, I think the text wants you to see and understand we should give honor to God. We should give honor to God. Worthy are you, Revelation 4.11, are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will they existed and were created nothing came into being apart from god creating it and making it and thus we ought to give him glory and honor as the divine as the sovereign creator of the world so why did god create you you know this is an important question because many have suggested god needed our company God had needed something outside of himself to be sufficient and, and fulfilled, and that's just not the case. No, he created mankind for one purpose, and that was God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 reminds us that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, what for what reason? For my glory. God's glory. This whole Christian life, this, everything when we relates to the Word of God is not about you and is not about me. It's about God. We've made modern-day Christianity about us because we live in a sick and perverted world that is so narcissistic that it wants us to be the priority and the topic of everything. No, God created you. He breathed into your nostrils the breath of life because He wanted to receive glory. He created us for His glory. Now, fifthly, the dignity God gave man is shown in man's uniqueness, His authority, and His purpose. And so here it lists, us, uh, lists some facts from Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Uh, what's the uniqueness of man? Well, I think that's an important question, one that is vital, because here he says in verse 26, God said, let us, there's that plurality of God again in this triunity of God. We see the Trinity from the very foundations of Scripture. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. The uniqueness of man is that we were created in the image of God. You weren't created in the image of an animal. You weren't created in the image of anything other than God Almighty. And because He created you in that image, you have intrinsic value. You have a position of authority because God gave man authority, didn't he? 
over the animals, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over everything that creeps. That means you and I, as humanity, have been placed here to be in authority over all of the things on this earth. And thus we have a responsibility to maintain it, to take care of it. Now, we don't buy into the climate change methodology that's permeating trillions of dollars and, and becoming this uh, avenue, right, for, for false power and authority. Now, we are called to be stewards over, but he's given us dominion over those things. And not only has he given us, you know, a unique creation of ourselves as he created us, not only has he given us this position of authority, he's given us a purpose. He's given us a purpose, and that is that man was told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to subdue it, to put, to put it under one subjection. Now, now hear me. God the creator of the universe who breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and created us and said, male and female, and it was good, says that we should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I know we live in a day when there is the slaughter of children in the wombs, and we ought to stand against abortion. Now, listen, there may be some in reality that have made mistakes. That's not my point. We all make mistakes, but God is a God of forgiveness and grace. But we should not look at someone who has children and pity them. You know, I have seven children. I get asked the question all the time, do you not, you do not have a TV in your house? Or, you know, you don't know what causes that. And I say, yeah, of course I know what causes that. You know what causes that? The Bible tells me to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. Genesis 1, 28. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. And God has blessed my family. Don't look down on people who have children. And don't. Don't get upset if God doesn't bless you in that arena. There's still opportunities for adoption. You can adopt children who are all over the world for somebody who has faithfully taken the, uh, the, the, the necessity to see the value of, of life and saving that life and then giving that child over to someone who can care for it, nurture it, because that's important. They want us to understand God cares for you. The devil wants you to believe that you're not cared for, that God doesn't hear you. No, no, no. He created you in his image, and therefore you have value. That's why suicide is wrong. That's why suicide is sin, because you take that which God created in his image and you destroy it with your own authority. We shouldn't do that. We should understand that God does indeed care for us because he created us. Not only did he create us, but he knows us. I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? The reality is, is if he made it, he knows it. If he designed it, then he is the designer. And as the designer, he understands every intricate detail about his creation. In Psalm 139, 1-6, David mentions several areas of his life which God has searched and known. Here the question wants us to list four of them. 
and then place a check mark by the areas that God knows about your life. Well, if you look at Psalm 139, you'll find that God knows everything. God knows the, even the most private details of your life. He says here in verse 1 of Psalm 139, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I what? There's the first one. Sit down and when I rise up. He, he knows where you are at, where you sleep, and where you rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He knows what you are thinking. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. He says, you search out my path. He, he, he knows everything. He knows where we are going. He knows where we will go. I'm reminded of that as I preached Jeremiah 18, and here he calls the people to repent lest he not relent, and he bring destruction on his own people. But he says they will not. How does he know that? Because God is all-knowing. He knows your path. He knows the things you say. He knows where you lie down. He says, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. There's nothing you can hide from God. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows all things, and there's nowhere we can hide from God. And that's important to know, because it is vital for us to know that God knows us. Because if He really cares for us, then he must know us. You can't say you love your wife or your husband if you don't know them. You can't say, I love you, my child, and you don't know them. You don't spend time with them. David responded, number seven, as, to, as he realized how completely well God knew him. He saw it and he understood it. And so he said, because you already know me, because I know you know everything about me, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He asked him to search, but not only does he ask him to search, he asks him to lead. That could be leading into repentance. And I think we need to come to a place in our own lives because we as a culture are so sick and perverted that much of the sick and perversion has leaked into the church and into the pulpits. And thus we think what is right is actually wrong. And that which we call evil is, is not, is it, uh, that which we call good many times is evil. And so we need to ask God this very thing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Reveal me, try me, know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way, lead me into the way of everlasting. We need repentance in our lives. So I want to encourage you to do that. Because what we think sometimes is not good, and yet is taught is okay. We had a young man in church Sunday arguing with my children. I wasn't there, praise the Lord, because... I don't know if I'd have been too sanctified, but trying to tell my kid it's all right to curse. I'm like, dude, really? That's what you come to church to argue about? But in his mind, he's justified foul language, yet he had no scripture, verse, or chapter to back it up when my daughter asked him that question. 
That's a good theory, but can you show me the book, the chapter, the verse, sir? Nope. Can't think of one. You see how error has bled into our thinking when we know the scriptures are very clear that the tongue and the foul speech that the culture has created is not appropriate for the believer. Whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, these are the things we ought to think on. But if we see how close we can get to the line without crossing over, then we need to sift. We need God to sift our hearts and to reveal us in the iniquities that is in it. What does Jesus reveal about God's detailed interest in you? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, we'll see that he knows you completely. He knows you completely. There he says in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 10, he says, Are you, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more, are you, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see what we've created in our culture. You, Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I'm wrong. I don't see starving children on TV anymore. I see star, starving animals. What we've done is we've, we've humanized the creature. And here it, it's expressingly obvious that, that you are more valuable than those creatures. Now, we, we love them, and we, we, we shepherd them, and we take care of them, and we feed them, and we love our critters, but never should we place them on a platform above humanity. You were created in the image of God. You have intrinsic value. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You should have no fear because God has created you and he knows you completely. So not only has God created you, not only has God uh, shown you that he knows you, but he wants you to understand that he loves you. He loves you. And that's an important reality to be reminded of. For those that don't have the PDF, I'll take a screenshot and share this next section because I think it's important for us to be reminded of um, as we look at the fact that uh, God loves you. Listen, what, what's God's greatest demonstration of his love? Well, I'll tell you what it is. He sent his son into the world. When we look at 1 John 4, 9, we, we realize that God truly, genuinely cares and loves for you. And this is love, that God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
He says in verse 10, and this is love. Now, this is important. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation for he becomes the atonement. He becomes our means of appeasement. He is our expiation, the sacrifice. He is our sin offering. He is our substitute. God loves you, my friend. He loves you so much that he sent his son. I always give the example, and I think it's appropriate here because in reality, let's just say for a second, uh, Jaron Jackson decided that he was going to shoot Jesse, and Jesse is now dead. And Jaron Jackson is standing before a righteous judge, and that righteous judge is going to declare him guilty because he is a righteous judge. And he's going to give him life in prison. But I love Jaron. And so I come into the courtroom and I say, hey, judge, wait a second. I don't want Jaron to have uh, eternal life separated. I, I want to take his place. The judge says, that sounds real good, Pastor. And that's. That's mighty nice of you, but that's not sufficient. But I tell you what, Stuart, I see you have a son named Elijah. I tell you what, if you'll take your son and you'll walk him over to that electric chair and you'll hook him up and you pull the plug on your very own son, I'll let Jaron go. And my son willingly, obediently, sufficiently walks over, hooks himself up to the electric chair, and I, the father, pull the plug and kill my own son. The judge says, Jaron, not guilty, you're free to go. He walks out of that courtroom, and all the people, ABC, NBC, CCBC, whatever you want to call them, the news stations are astonished. Why are you free? What would it look like if Jaron said, well, you know, I turned over a new leaf. I started going to church. I started reading my Bible. I gave it to the poor. I did this. I did that. And then the camera zoom off of him onto me, the father, who has just gave my son for Jaron's freedom. Listen, God loves you. Not that you've done something. No, no, no. Titus is very, very clear about that in, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He's very clear that it isn't by your works, it isn't by your deeds, but rather when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. You didn't save yourself. Jaron didn't save himself. No, it was the Father. He saved us, verse 5, not on the basis of works which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. He owns it. It's His mercy, not your deeds, His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration, there is a process, a regeneration, a born-again process, and a renewing of the Holy Spirit. Only God can do those things. So yes, God has loved you, not that you've loved God, but that He loved you and sent His Son. The reality is, is God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is vitally important for us to grasp and understand. In a day and an age when so many people are wanting to make their own ways, they're trying to fulfill their own obligations and rules to get to heaven. The Bible says you can't work your way to heaven. 
For God so loved the world. Not that Stuart so loved God that he was saved. No, 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 God so loved the world. And the world isn't the globe. It's the humans within the globe. It's all of humanity. It's the people. For God so loved the world. All people. Whoever believes in him. You say, well, there are those who are chosen and there's who are, are not elect. And I say this, the elects are the whosoever wills and the non-elect are the whosoever wants. Now you lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I don't get paid enough to determine who is elect and who's non-elect. I'm just being called to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 15, he reminded us of what is in first importance, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, which equals death. Perish means death, but would have everlasting life. There is this transmission of death to life. As in Acts chapter 26, when Paul's on the road to Damascus, he says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. There it is, salvific language, darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to the power of God, and they will receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me. The reality is, is he gave his only son that you might be set free. So if you come today and you think for one second you've done something, you're good enough, when you get to heaven, the good's going to outweigh the bad, you're sadly mistaken because he says your greatest deeds are filthy rags. If you really want to understand that, go study what that terminology means. Filthy rags is your greatest works. So they call us in number 10 here to study John 3, 16 in relation to the illustration above. What did God's love cause him to do? To give his son in your place. He, 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 he took your place. That's important. He, he was your substitute. Listen, to have a relationship with God, a personal saving relationship with God, listen, you must be as holy and righteous as God himself. You say, oh, how's that, how is that even possible? Because the Bible, what? Declares we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark of God's righteousness. And listen, for this reason, the Father has judged His Son as if He personally committed your sin. That's the substitution that's taken place. That is what Jesus did on the cross. So that by faith in Christ, you can receive the benefit of His sinless life and substitutionary death. Because when God saves you, He comes to take up residence in you. And when you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, you then obtain the righteousness of Christ because it's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20. It is Christ who lives in me. That is the transformation that must take place. And that's what God has done. He has sent His Son into the world. What does it mean that God has given His Son? It means to exchange death for life. So how can a person receive this eternal life, you may be asking? Well, the Bible says you must believe the gospel. You say, well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. But what is the gospel? Euangelion is the Greek word. It means good news. What is the good news? 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have broken the law of God, and a righteous judge will declare you guilty. God steps onto the scene because you are unable. God is able. He sends his son that you might have life, and he takes your place on the cross at Calvary. He pays for your sin. He sheds his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He's buried in the tomb. Three days later, he rises again from the grave to conquer death so you don't have to die spiritually for eternally separated from God. And he he rises victorious to the right hand of the Father, where today He now intercedes on your behalf. That is what you must believe when we talk about the gospel, that the death, the burial, and resurrection was enough to save you. Not your deeds, not your efforts, but the gospel of God for your salvation. So how can you receive eternal life? Believe the gospel, that when Jesus died, it was sufficient to those that would believe. It's efficient for all, my friends, but it's only sufficient for those who put their faith in Christ. So what are you waiting on? Listen, death is real. There are many, many, many people and many people you know that have just died recently that never expected it. Young people, life over, dead, gone, buried in the ground. Stepping into eternity. Where will you end up? If you were to die today or Christ were to come back, where would you be? How certain are you that you would be in heaven? John 10, 9 to 16, Jesus compares his love and concern to the love and concern of a shepherd. According to that passage, what are some things that he wants to give you? Well, the text reminds us that he wants to give us life abundantly. He wants to give us life abundantly. And he wants to give us salvation. He is the good shepherd. He wants to protect, provide, take care of, bring in and out of good pastures. He lays down his life for his sheep. He is the true shepherd. And here it asks us this number 12, what, which items that you listed in question 11 are the most important to you? And that'll be different for each person. I put down the door. <laughs> because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. He is the door way. He is the pathway to righteousness. He is the only way into salvation, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So what's important for us to understand is God loves you, and he loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, he has made you a part of his family. So we're, we're dealing now with people who are born again. If you need to come to Christ, if you need to trust the gospel, today is the day of salvation, my friend. You, you don't need to wait till tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. 
You, you don't need to wait till the end of the program. You need to confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ right now by faith and put your trust that He, God, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and that was sufficient enough for you to be saved that you'll just put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now is the appropriate time. And when you put your faith and you call out to Him and ask Him to save you, He certainly will. And he will come and take up residence in you, and he will begin to grow you and sanctify you, and he will begin to make you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you say you're a Christian, you have no fruit in your life, that ought to concern you. And if it doesn't concern you, well, you need to read John chapter 14. And you need to read specifically from verse 16 onward. Because he indwells every believer with the Spirit of God, and he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And completion means that you will be progressively sanctified. He has made you, when you put your faith, a part of his family. So how did Jesus teach his disciples to address God in Matthew 6, 9? Well, he, he taught them to address him as what? Father. Do, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Is it true that God is your Father this morning? Is it true? Why or why not? Well, let me ask you this. Here's another question to consider, and one that's important. Is everyone his father God? That's not what the Bible says. No, no, no. The Bible says that you were born into iniquity. Psalm 51.5 says, when, when I was born, I was born into sin, into iniquity. We're not born in this world children of God. You say, well, he's an innocent child. No, he's, he's infiltrated with sin because of what Adam and Eve had done. Jesus said in John 8, 42 to 44, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot hear, because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth. But there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But I tell you the truth. You do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. We live in a world where not everybody's father is God. Some are children of the devil. Sounds harsh, but theologically it's true. Biblically it's true. I mean, there in John 14, as I just quoted, he reminds us that if the uh, if this 
I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, nope, sorry, 14. Do not, he says, uh, I say to you, uh, let me get there. If you love me, verse 15 of John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You say, well, I love you, God. Do you keep the commandments? Have you ever lied? Oh, yeah, of course I've lied, Pastor. It was just a little white lie. It doesn't matter. One lie, white lie, purple lie, brown lie, black lie. It doesn't matter. They're all a lie. You've broken the law of God. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. Okay. Well, then you've broken the law of God. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Of course not. Well, now you've already told me you're a liar. <laughs> no, yes, you have. You've broken the law of God. And the Bible says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Now, let me be honest with you. Maybe you don't love God like you think you love God, but have no fear. Remember, it's not that you love God, but that he loved you and sent his son. That's the beauty of the gospel. You are a hater of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if it wasn't because of God bursting through the floor system of heaven and invading your life with the grace of Jesus Christ, you would be dead in your trespasses and sins. And you would be a child of the devil. But for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are children of God. They are part of his family. And how is one born into the family of God? They are born in the family of God by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. He came to his own, and his own people, what? Did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. It is his prerogative. It is his sovereignty that gives you and me the right to become children of God. But it's specific in how you were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, yeah, I'm not a Calvinist, but there's your sovereignty of God. It's not by blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but of God. So how are you saved? You got to receive him, my friend. You got to receive him. It's not enough to have certain facts about Jesus. The demons believed in Jesus and trembled. We believe and we don't even tremble because we don't really trust many times. It's important. Andrew Murray says this the importance of the assurance of faith lies in the fact that childlike. I cannot possibly love or serve God if I do not know whether he loves and acknowledges me as his child. You are a child of God if you are born again. So what are the advantages of being a true child of God? We see it in, in Romans 8, 15 to 17. Romans 15, 8, 15 to 17, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear is of slavery, by the way, slave to sin. But you have received the spirit as, uh, of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are heirs of God. We are owners of God's everything. We are His children. And there is a true advantage of that. And if we are children, then heirs, and if heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we might also be glorified with Him. 
And thus, when Shane and Shane sing the song, Though I'm slain, I will praise you. Why? Because in our suffering, we can glory in the fact that we are a child of God and we, like Him, will be glorified. Abba is the personal name for Father. So he, they ask us in number 17, state briefly how you know God is your Father. You think about that and you write that down. How do you know that God is your Father? It's important for you as a Christian to be assured that God is your Father, that you have eternal life. Since feelings change, like emotions and, you know, follow your heart kind of mentality of the day society, this assurance must ultimately depend on the Word of God, which is unchanging. I write these things to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life, 1 John 5, 13. You don't have to wonder over your salvation. If you've put your faith in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and your trust is in that that work, the person and work of Jesus Christ was sufficient to save you, then you are born again from above, and he comes to take up residence in you. And you don't have to wonder over whether you're saved. You can be 100% certain. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It's certainty that Jesus Christ said what he said, did what he did, and meant what he did, and it accomplished what he said it would, and that as you can become a child of God. So you can know, my friend. Below are three verses that have helped many Christians gain this assurance. You may want to memorize them, because when you doubt, you can always regurgitate them. John 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what? Eternal life. That's eternal. That's everlasting and will not be condemned for he has crossed over from death to life from the power of Satan to God and that they have received forgiveness ultimately by faith in Christ. And then 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Not in your works, not in your deeds, but in the Son. He who has the, has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in and eat with them and he with me. So how can we wrap this up today? Well, there are things that we need to remember. Number one, we need to be reminded that God created you for his own purpose, for his own glory. He gave you dignity, shaped your life with his own likeness. And therefore, you are loved and you are treasured. And therefore, you have intrinsic value, both male and female, equal in the eyes of God, yet different roles. Nevertheless, equally loved, equally cherished, equally sacrificed for. You are loved by God because you are created. God considers you to be of great value. He takes personal interest in knowing you completely. And he loves you so intently that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, to take your sin, your punishment that you and I deserve. He took it upon himself. 
And this demonstration of love shows that he wants to give you eternal life, an abundant life. When God gave his life, he did it for a reason, so that you could become a child of God. And when God give you this life in Christ as his child, you are born spiritually, my friend, into the family of God. You are an heir of Christ. He is your father, and you are his child. Maybe you come today and you didn't expect this. You didn't expect for the God of the universe to be knocking on your heart to repent of your sin, for which you know the Bible is very clear that you've done. Today is the day of salvation, my friend. And if you're here and you ask, well, what in the world must I do to be saved? You must believe. You must receive Christ. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can receive him right now by faith. Faith is, listen, simply taking God at his word by believing what he has promised because the son has died and rose again. Listen, ultimately God can promise you that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. Listen, one way to express this faith is just by calling out to him, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Yes, I've broken the law of God. Confess it to him. Tell him who Marty knows all things, the number of hairs on your head. He knows the phone calls that you've been on. He knows the women that you've been flirting with. He knows the things you've been watching. He knows the thing you've been putting in your mouth. He knows the night you've spent out on the, in the barroom getting drunk. He knows all things. So confess that sin to him. Confess to him that you know you could never earn your own salvation. You could never be good enough. And then give him thanks that he would leave heaven and become a man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Give him thanks for dying on a cross in your place, taking your punishment that you deserve. And be reminded that as a risen Lord, he conquered death in that grave. Today, you want to put your faith in him. Tell him, I put my faith in you. And I trust you, Lord, because of your death, burial, and resurrection, to forgive me of my sins and to give me a new life eternal. And if you've done that, what an amazing blessing. Out of the gratitude of your heart, you ought to purpose to follow Christ as King and Lord for the, all the days He gives you rest. Give Him thanks today for making you a child. Listen, the Bible promises eternal life to anyone who will receive Christ. Because Christ paid for your debt in full, you don't have to wonder over your salvation. So now if you've received Christ today, you may be asking, what now, Pastor? Well, I think you should make your decision public. 
we read in Matthew already that Jesus taught inward, true inward possession of him would always result in outward confession of him. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. So tell us today, right here in the chat, that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ today. We want to pray with you. We want to come alongside of you. And we want to walk with you and disciple you and send you out into the world and the highways and byways to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Let us know so we can pray. The other thing you need to do is be baptized. You need to be baptized. Ultimately, our confession should express itself in baptism. Baptism simply is symbol. It's not a, it, it doesn't, doesn't save you. It doesn't even help save you. It's a, it's a symbol. It's an outward uh, profession of an inward change. It's a, it's a symbol of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as going down in the water completely and coming out. And then you need to find a Bible-believing church. You need a shepherd. I mean, I love doing this, but you need real live human interaction with a man who will hold you accountable, who will love you, who will pray with you, and who will come alongside of you and watch you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So find a local church. We'll post a link here in the chat and which Possibly you can get connected. And we've had many people come to Christ here and and now are a part of churches and they're being baptized. And I'm in conversation with their pastors. It's such a joy and a blessing. Find a Bible-believing church and then begin to read your Bible. Begin to read your Bible. I don't know where to start. We'll start right here with this study. Chapter 2 next week. Start every day just a little bit of that chapter 2 and read the words and answer them to the best of your ability, the best of your knowledge. And then as we work through all seven of these, be praying that God will open up an opportunity for you then to turn around and walk through somebody with this same curriculum. Get a Bible, begin to read and begin to study. Listen, the Word of God is likened to, to milk, to honey, to bread, to meat. It's like spiritual food. We must feed on it to become strong. So you must feed on the Word of God. You need to, the nourishment of the Word of God on your life. And then begin to pray about everything. Begin to pray. The prayers of a righteous man and woman accomplishes much. He is your Father. You've become a child. Pray in the name of Jesus. Not that Jesus is some genie in a bottle and you can just say, in the name of Jesus, and it happened. That, that didn't know how it works. You'll need to bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him. The one who provided your salvation will grant you access to the Father. You don't pray to Mary. You don't pray to the archangel Michael, whatever heretical prayer that is. You pray to Jesus Christ who grants you access to the Father. Anything outside of that prayer is heretical. Pray to the Father through the Son. And then the biggest thing is go tell others the great news. Go, like I always say here, go be awkward. Go share Jesus and be ready to be rejected because there's more going down than there's going up. And that's okay. It's not your job. Your job is to proclaim the truth of God's Word. Father, I thank you for today.
I thank you for your many blessings and your provision of your word and how it certainly transforms our life. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy on our lives. And I pray that you, by your grace, would save those here that are on the fence, that are not children of God, that they might become children of God, so that they will know without a shadow of a doubt that they are certainly children. They're not to live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, because you do care for us. You care for us. You created us. You know us. You love us. And you've made us part of your family. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.